welcome to Chowder and Grits. Today is Monday, January 28th. I am Justin Cochiola alongside Tim Hurth. And, uh, you know, Tim, we've got some ACC football news to get to, a lot of things going on in Blacksburg that I think we need to talk about, a uh, little bit of a Senior Bowl recap, and then some ACC basketball action really starting to heat up. Uh, but first, Tim, how's it going? It's going good, man. Uh helped my buddy move into a new house yesterday and by helped I mean I sat in a recliner and watched my child while my wife helped uh, his wife put things away. Um, I have a herniated disc so I'm only allowed to lift a certain amount of weight Um, and while we're waiting on surgery for that uh, I get to sit and watch people move in and that is a terrible feeling. Great well could you at least lift the remote? (laughs) Barely and that's enough that's all I need man. Yeah, well, let me tell you, dude, we are, uh, we're preparing for a polar vortex here Ooh. in Chicago, and to be honest, I don't even know what that means. I just know that it's going to be excessively cold. That's um, terrible sounding. So cold that the Chicago Tribune said it's one of those once in every two decades type of cold. So right. the high is going to be negative 11 on Wednesday. That's that's the high. <laughs> oh, jeez. That's not wind chill. That's the actual temperature. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I told you the story, but when I was living in Dallas, um, had a couple of buddies, Cowboys fans, and, uh, you know, they had snuck into the playoffs, and they were playing the Packers. So I'm a Packers fan. And so we decided last second to fly up to – Chicago drive up to Green Bay for the game, which happened to be the uh, Dez catch game, that infamous moment. And uh, I remember getting off the plane and uh, thinking to myself and saying out loud, in fact, why would anybody ever live here? (laughs) And uh, now I do, and I find myself asking, why would anybody ever live here? (laughs) Can't imagine. Polar vortexes, man. Put that on the list of things I didn't know you had to concern yourself with. But um, good luck. Bundle up. Yeah, for sure. But uh, that's enough about the weather. Uh, This is a football podcast, so, you know, we we like the elements. We like playing out in the elements. (laughs) Sure. Sure. But, uh, you know, not a whole lot happening on the football side of things. A lot of uh, transfer news, still some coaching things going around, but... First, just wanted to get your reaction. NC State has hired their fourth coach of the offseason, Todd Gobell, I believe I'm saying that correctly, as a tight ends coach. I think so. so. He's, uh, he's replacing Eddie Faulkner, who left for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Spent the last four years at Marshall. Um, what, do you, what do you think about, about that hire? A couple different thoughts. One, I think it's cool that Eddie is going to Pittsburgh to be reunited with Jalen Samuels, and he had... Uh, been such a, a big part of Jalen's uh, game planning and, and coaching as he was the head of the tight end while, while Jalen was a quote-unquote tight end while he was at NC State. Um, those that watch Jalen play know he really didn't have a position. He played everywhere from tailback to split out wide. Um, but Eddie and, and Jalen, very close. So if you're one, maybe looking at fantasy football next year and you want a guy who is looking to make an impact more so than he had this year, uh, Jalen's coming off a pretty strong finish to the season and now has a coach that knows how to uh, get the most out of his skill set in Pittsburgh. So I think that's a cool little reunion story there. As far as Gobels goes, um, I think it's a really good pickup uh, for NC State. One, because of his uh, ability to recruit, um, and he had shown uh, an ability to recruit as the director of recruiting there in Marshall. Um, and more importantly, NC State special teams was poor this year, especially on kick coverage and punt coverage. Um, that's his specialty. So I'm expecting Gobels to come in and lock that down um, in a way that NC State has really needed for two or three years now. So I think it's a great pickup. Yeah, I think, um, you know, with a team like NC State, they they seem to have had a lot of uh, new coaches this year. So I think that's definitely something to watch going into the spring and then obviously the start of next season. Uh, it's just a lot of turnover. I don't think that's always a good thing, but no. at the same time, it's not bad turnover. You've got guys leaving for better jobs. So, yeah. Um, at the end of the day, Doran is the is the leader of the staff, so I think they'll be in fine shape. It's just always uh, 
always something to watch, and I think uh, we'll talk about that a little bit with Virginia Tech um, in a second. First, I wanted to talk about Louisville. So they are not going to have a spring game this year, which I find to be a little bit odd going into a brand new era with Scott Satterfield. Uh, their, their recruiting is off to kind of a rough start, to be honest, under Satterfield. They basically right. lost people in the early signing period. They didn't actually sign anybody. And, um, you know, Louisville just kind of cited declining attendance. Uh, they still pulled in about 14000 last year, which is about 13900 more than UVA would pull in. <laughs> and then, uh, but at nice. their peak, they were down from about 27000 uh, in 2014. So uh, one thing that they did say, they will at least open one of their 15 spring practice sessions, which I also found a little bit odd after going yeah. back and, you know, when I listened to the Satterfield press conference, you know, he said that they were going to have like an open door policy. So it sounds like maybe they're stepping back from that a little bit, but I don't want to read into this too much. It just seems like the Satterfield era isn't off to the cleanest of starts. No, no. And, you know, I don't understand that. Maybe I'm being too much of a college football romantic, but the spring game is such a tradition uh, for every football program out there that I can't really imagine not having one. Um, I'm not really sure. Obviously, I get attendance has been iffy at spring games in a lot of different places. Um, but I, I don't like the optics on that. Uh, you know, I'm sure he had his reasons, but, man, you got to keep the spring game. That's one of the things that makes college football special, especially in the springtime where we're just dying for football at that point. Um, you know, give the people in Louisville what they want, at least the 14,000 of them. I just, I just don't understand it. I mean, there's, there's nothing negative. I don't think that could happen from a spring game. I mean, no, the, and it's, it's not like they're not scrimmaging already in spring practice. Yeah. So from Satterfield standpoint, or Louisville's just in general, I don't know if this is a Satterfield decision or not, but I don't really see the harm in having a spring game. I mean, it's essentially a practice. Right. Okay. Coaches can stop the game as they please. They can, you know, make adjustments. They'll stop and, you know, talk to players about what they're doing. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's not that important. It's really just more of a kind of drawing interest and inciting interest in the program. So I think from that standpoint, Louisville's missing out a little bit. You would have expected to be a little bit of a, in a of an uptick in attendance just with the new staff and everything. Oh, sure. But, um yeah, I, I really don't get it from uh, from Louisville's standpoint, and um, I don't think it's really going to have that big of an effect. It's just from a sheer excitement standpoint, it's always great to see something in, in April instead of having to wait until the end of August, early September. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I agree. Just um, It's weird because you, you try to make the case of, okay, well, here's the benefit to not having a spring game. And you can usually easily figure out, okay, you may not agree with it, but you can see the other side. But this is one of those where I truly don't understand the pros to not having a spring game. But, you know, I'll look into it more and, and try and figure that one out. But that's, uh, you know, bold move, Scott Satterfield. So, so one other team uh, kind of tearing it up. Miami has drawn in their sixth transfer from the transfer portal. Um, this offseason. So they have added defensive tackle Shigozi Naroka from <laughs> Good UCLA. One. Good I guess one. we're going to go. I'm guess we're going to say that's correct. But um, <laughs> yeah, so that's their sixth transfer that they've accepted this year. Obviously, most notable being Tate Martell. I'm not sure they're done. Uh, there's been rumors that Trayvon Hill from Virginia Tech is going to head yeah. there, which why he's not going to the NFL. I'm guessing is something a little bit negative from uh, uh, just their the NFL standpoint of I, I think there's more to the Trayvon Hill of Virginia Tech situation that's being let on, right. uh, and so he might be in a kind of prove it situation. But it sounds like he's going to Miami, even though that's not necessarily confirmed. But interesting strategy from Manny Diaz to to invite that many transfers down there. Um, they have lost a few to the portal, but. Uh, just something to look out for next year. Yeah, a lot of hype down there in Miami right now. Um, a lot of instant impact guys going down there. And, yeah, as you said, the Hill situation's weird. And, you know, I hate to be a guy who's who's citing a rumor mill and, and looking at 
evidence that really isn't. You, you can't present evidence and say, hey, this is definitely the case, but it seems like there may be some character issues there, um, which may or may not be hurting him in the NFL's eyes. Uh, hugely talented guy, and, and wherever he'll go, I, I think he'll have success for sure. Uh, so if you follow ACC football or Virginia Tech, you pretty much know where we're going with this next uh, next segment here. So Virginia Tech, between Tuesday and Wednesday night, saw four, four people decide to transfer, and two of them were, three of them were really fairly large names. So um, part of what spiked the transfer was uh, wide receiver coach Holman Wiggins was rumored to be going to Alabama um, when these guys started moving, which was later confirmed. So uh, Wiggins is a guy who has spent the last six years under Fuente. Um, you know, he, he followed him to Virginia Tech from Memphis and uh, was definitely seen as a good recruiter and a very personable type of players coach. Yep. And then we saw probably Virginia Tech's top or at least second um, second highest target for next year, Eric Kuma decided to transfer and go to, well, he hasn't decided where he's going yet, but he released this statement on Twitter uh, basically thanking Wiggins, saying uh, that, you know, he's decided to take his talents elsewhere, failed to mention Fuente at all in that statement. Um, so to me, that was the biggest loss for Virginia Tech of the people that we saw tr- decide to enter the transfer portal this week. The other big names that we saw, Josh Jackson, obviously most notable, obviously won the quarterback job this year, but then broke his leg against Old Dominion and did not retain um, or was not going to retain that title going into next season. So it sounded like from what we've heard that he was upset that he was going to have to come in and compete next year for the starting job because he felt like he had proven himself. Whereas if you go back and look at Josh Jackson as a quarterback, in his first year there as a freshman, he was very solid in the first half of his freshman year, and then there was a significant drop-off in the second half of his freshman year. And we started to see traces of that kind of follow into this season, just with inaccuracy and just slow to make decisions with the football. Um, to be honest, there's not much of a difference I see personally from Josh Jackson or Ryan Willis, so I think the Hokies are okay at quarterback. I don't think this is a devastating loss. No. Uh, I, initial reaction is it is, but I really don't think it is. And so you've got Ryan Willis, who will be competing. I mean, don't lose sight of this. It's going to be a competition going into spring and summer summer practice. He'll be competing with uh, Quincy Patterson and, and Hendon Hooker next season, so... I don't know what your initial reaction was to those two, but um, Twitter, the Twitterverse was uh, was losing its head Tuesday and Wednesday. Yeah, I mean we ha- we have those many transfers, including the ones during the season. You know, it, it's shaky, it's sketchy, it makes you concerned as to what the environment in the football program is like. Uh, maybe what Fuente is like as far as from a player's perspective, what he's like to play for. Um, as far as the individual transfers, you got Kuma, who is a really good wide receiver. Obviously, you talk about 50-50 balls, and if you're throwing a 50-50 ball to uh, Kuma, it's more like a 75-25 ball. He seems to come down with every jump ball that's thrown his way. And the Hokies, make no mistake, are going to miss that presence next year. Um, as far as Jackson goes, um, that's tough. He had a interesting couple of years with the Hokies. And I'm not sure uh, he would have won the job next year. I would have put Willis um, and Quincy Patterson above him as far as who I would expect to win that job. So him transferring, not all that surprising given the fact, as you said, he cited that he felt like he had earned that starting job. And I couldn't disagree more based on his play. Um, And, you know, certainly there were times where I feel he actually limited the offense and you see that the flip side of that coin was when Ryan Willis would get in there, the amount of deep shots and the risks that we were willing to take seemed to open up a little bit. And I think that it was good for the offense. Um, I think Josh is a great game manager. I'm just not sure that he's a layup of a starting quarterback like he thinks he is. Um, it'd be interesting to see. I know there were some rumors that maybe he would uh, follow lefty up over there to Bowling, Bowling Green. And it'll be interesting to see if he does that. Um, you know, that'd be a heck of a reunion. And the Mac would be a good place for him to uh, get going again. As far as the program, um, I flip-flop on it. I, it, it. 
on the surface where there's smoke, there's fire, right? So you would expect with all the transfers, there would be something wrong with the program. However, what would alarm me is if we were seeing a lot of Fuentes guys leaving. And this seems to be a lot of players who are part of the prior regime um, with Beamer that are kind of getting disgruntled and leaving. Um, you know, the Mook Reynolds, Hill, you've got Jackson, Kuma, all those guys heading out that weren't necessarily part of Fuentes' uh, recruiting halls. And it makes me a little more comforted seeing the resounding votes of confidence seem to be coming from some of Fuentes' guys. Uh, you know, using Twitter and the hashtag It Starts Now was kind of a little mini movement with the football program, um, which kind of gave me some confidence in the direction of the football program. However, obviously now anything moving forward with uh, players leaving the program or disciplinary issues are going to be met with high scrutiny from all the fans. And it seems like we're all on edge. And I know you probably saw Fuente's statement that he released when all this happened. And I'm sure that was at the behest of Whit Babcock, um, the AD at Virginia Tech. I'm sure he pushed Fuente to make a statement. Um, I'm not sure I really enjoyed the statement kind of made it seem like, oh, you know, transfers, right? That's college football nowadays. Nothing to see here. Keep it moving. Um, But one thing I did pull out of that uh, whole statement was that he highlighted the fact that he thought the players on the team right now had great character. Um, And it seems to me like character may have been the issue that Fuente had with a lot of these players. Um, Right or wrong, coaches can be wrong, but it seems like Fuente is really putting an emphasis on getting guys with uh, his level and what he, he would like to see as far as what he's defining as good character in that program and on that team. I didn't know what you thought of that, but that's kind of what I took from that whole statement. Yeah, I mean, if, if you step back and look at, at what's happened under Fuente, I think it's easy to jump on him and say, oh, my God, you know, you know Virginia Tech, there's, there's some kind of major cultural issue going on right now. We've got basically 12 players have left in the last year, okay? Right. So three of them have been kicked off the team. Nine of them have transferred. But at the end of the day, you know, that's just the way college football is nowadays. You've got much more beneficial rules. You've got the graduate transfer rules going on. You've got reasons uh, that you can try to get a waiver and not have to sit out a year. Um, When guys leave for playing time, I don't think that's ever an issue with the coaches. They just want to play more. Um, And, you know, like uh, Devontae Smith was kind of outspoken defensive back for the Hokies listen man if you couldn't have cracked the Virginia Tech secondary this year right then get out you know good good luck you know I mean that that was right for the taking okay so to me these players love to look for excuses that oh you know I don't get along with the coaches here you know I haven't been given the opportunity no the opportunity is always there you have to go out and you have to go and take it. You got to right. go out and compete. And I was disappointed to hear that from Josh Jackson that he felt like he had earned the starting job. It's like, what have you? What have you done? You right. haven't done anything, okay? No. And he came in. He redshirted his first year behind Gerard Evans. He had a pretty decent freshman year, but like I said, struggled in the second half. And then, you know, Virginia Tech wasn't anything to write home about in the first few games of the season, and he ended up getting hurt with already a a deficit to old dominion that we were going to lose that game regardless if he stayed in or not so you know at the end of the day if you got guys here that don't want to compete um you know you can go find somewhere else and to be honest good luck finding a program where you're not going to compete and just be handed the job because if you find one of those you're probably at a community college somewhere so the thing with the guys that are transferring and leaving a lot of them are from the beamer era and it's not to say that that's a Frank Beamer issue or, you know, whatever. But if you take a look at that 2015 class, I mean, that class was absolutely loaded with talent. Oh, yeah. You know, you've got Tim Settle. you got Trayvon Hill. you got Tremaine Edmonds. You've got uh, Mook Reynolds. you got Adonis Alexander. I mean, mm-hmm. that class was loaded. Yep. But what happened to Adonis Alexander? He was kicked off the team because of his grades. Okay? That was pretty much all that happened there he entered like the nfl's version of the rule five draft whatever they call it and he ended up playing in the nfl this year um, for the redskins so you know that to me wasn't a justin fuente issue he couldn't stay academically eligible okay so i threw that one out mook reynolds arrested for a felony drug arrest later can't be doing that okay trayvon hill obviously some kind of 
I don't know what was going on with the Trayvon Hill situation. I'm not sure if we'll ever know. I definitely won't believe everything that he says because he is playing it up on Twitter, trying to like incite Twitter wars or whatever with other players that are going yeah. on. So Fuente's yeah. never going to say what happened. Um, and then just some of the other guys, like your Rico Kearney's and Sean Savoy's, Devontae Smith again. Like, yeah, they're mm-hmm. – they just weren't getting playing time. They couldn't stand out enough. So you're always going to have guys like that in any program that transfer. But mm-hmm. um, at the end of the day, I think Virginia Tech is probably better for it. It's not to say that every Beamer recruit that has come in has an issue with Puente because you see guys like Isaiah Ford and Cam Phillips and Sam Rogers oh, yeah. coming back and hanging around the program. So, you know, to me, that's a, that's a positive. Yeah. And you've got guys like – Eddie Royal reaching out to Trey Turner that you can see publicly, um, you know, just checking in on him, you know, how's it going, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, Trey Turner's another guy right now. I can't read what direction he's going to go. But no. um, I feel like if you were going to transfer, the spring semester has started by now. I, I feel like transfers are are over, but who knows? I could be wrong. So, Yeah, and Trey's a guy who I feel like, kind of knows what he's doing on Twitter in a way. Um, and it's disappointing to see him be so cryptic at, at times. And, um, you know, I'm not saying here, you know, that a 19-year-old, 18-year-old kid needs to, you know, not tweet certain things because of a fan base that might misinterpret it. But, um, you know, talking and, and what he's doing publicly on Twitter with some of the guys that have left the program, I just hope he's smart about using that social media moving forward and, um, you know, if it's in his heart to transfer, go ahead and transfer. Trey is a guy who I think is a really good talent, um, dynamic downfield guy who can make huge plays and obviously was so good for the Hokies this year when we needed him. Um, so selfishly, I want him to stay. But at the same time with this program, I don't want anybody in any college football program if they don't want to be there. Um, so truly, if Trey's heart isn't in it, you know, I, I wish him luck. But, you know, I'm sitting here hopeful that he'll be a Hokie uh, come start of the season in 2019. So two other guys that decided to transfer, uh, Chris Cunningham, he uh, backup tight end, was not surprised with that move. No. Uh, nope. Pretty much used primarily in blocking situations. And then right. uh, Deshaun McLeese, running back, obviously. Uh, a dynamic player, had a lot of issues staying on the field um, just due to you know injuries and things like that. So mm-hmm. it sounds like Deshaun might not transfer. Um, yeah. You know, we'll see. When you enter the transfer portal, you still have the option of coming back. So, yes. Um, unless your school decides to cut your scholarship. So, we'll see what happens. Right. Uh, you know, Deshaun was probably going to be the de facto starter next year. You know, there's not really anybody on the roster that is the clear number one at the running back position. So, that's something to watch going into the offseason. At the end of the day, this probably opens up a few more scholarships for Virginia Tech. So something to watch on the recruiting trail. See what they do from, you know, a transfer standpoint. You know, snagging guys from other programs. I think there's a QB target at Oregon that they're looking at, yep. and Fuente loves bringing in those graduate transfer quarterbacks. So, um, yeah. I think at the end of the day, Virginia Tech's going to be fine. Um, eight is a big number to see on the transfer portal. It's the second most in college football this year. I think Penn State has the most with like 11 guys that are transferring. So At least we are Penn State. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty it's much rough. what you say all the time. But <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. So. Um, and, you know, James Franklin is another one of those guys, too, that kind of has that, you know, rumors swirl about him maybe being kind of a pain in the ass uh, to play for. Um, and, you know, it's certainly something that Fuente is, whether he is or isn't, is, is kind of – kind of a battle he's got to fight too and uh you know program stability for him moving forward is going to be huge um you know his he's got a lot of critics now um fairly or unfairly and he's going to have to make sure that he's really got reins on this program moving forward and the performances can't suffer next year because of how bad and I say bad in quotation marks I realize it was a slight losing season but Really, for up to Virginia Tech standards, this was an unacceptable season, and now he's going to have to figure out how to right that ship with a little less talent um, and make sure that he keeps everybody's heads on straight because all eyes are on Fuente now and how he performs moving forward. Yeah, and the other thing, to like just what you said, worst season for Virginia Tech in 26 years. And so we're seeing guys leave a team that won six games and lost seven. 
Right. So at the end of the day, they're obviously not fits for whatever reason, whatever reason they've come up with in their head. So it's not like we're coming off a national championship and we're seeing all these guys leave. So um, to me, not that big of a deal. It makes Virginia Tech a little bit younger, uh, a little bit less experienced in certain positions, but you know we we were going to have a young team there anyway. So mm-hmm. I'm uh, I'm a little bit higher on on the Hokies than some people are after the recent departures, but definitely something to watch going into spring practice. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yep. Uh, so Saturday we had the Senior Bowl, which um, is kind of just a final audition for. Some of the seniors around college football to come together and kind of showcase their talents for scouts. I think the biggest thing with the Senior Bowl is, you know, they're practicing all week and um, kind of going through more of an NFL regimen than a college football regimen. So they've got uh, NFL coaches on each of the sidelines. Uh, One thing to note, Daniel Jones, Duke, former Duke quarterback, won the MVP. He led the uh, second-half comeback for the North, which always surprises me with how they – segment these teams how a school in north carolina is on the north squad doesn't make any sense to me when there's a south squad but um right. anyways daniel jones uh goes eight for 11 115 yards with a touchdown ryan finley also played pretty well going seven for 11 83 yards and then um soon to be new england patriots uh third round pick hunter renfro five catches for 63 yards and he led the south in receiving um, and then Darren Hall also got a little bit of action. The pit running back, he had four carries for negative four yards. Um, so it just didn't get a lot of action, but three catches for 25 yards as well. So just some of the ACC guys that were in there uh, getting some playing time. Um, be interesting to follow these guys through the draft process. So we'll do a little bit of a NFL draft uh, preview uh, for some of the ACC players uh, just to keep an eye on. I don't know if you had any reactions on this game, Tim. Yeah, just kind of what you mentioned. Daniel Jones, you just you love that guy's arm. Um, and if you're an NFL guy, yeah, that's that's somebody that's a player you want to keep an eye on. And I'm really high still. I know I've mentioned it in prior podcasts. I'm really high on Daniel Jones and his soon-to-be, I think, uh, good performances in the NFL. I think he's an NFL starter. I think Ryan Finley looked pretty good. Um, he was really consistent, and that's what you're going to get out of Ryan Finley. He's not going to make throws that just blow your mind, but he is consistent. He goes through all his progressions um, and is an accurate passer. I'm not so sure where Riley, how Ryan Finley translates to the next level. Um, I do think he's limited from a physical standpoint, uh, at least as far as his arm goes. So I don't know if he's one of those quarterbacks that bounces around teams looking for a spot starter or he's kind of a, a perennial backup that sees starting time when starters go down. But I think he looked pretty good. I think Jacoby Myers looked good in his limited time in the Senior Bowl. I thought um, hands-wise, physical-wise, and, and I'm talking about the NC State wide receiver, uh, not named Kelvin Harmon, um, I thought he was just fantastic. And, and all week, really, he jumped off the, uh, the page as far as looking at tape of the practices and things go. So Jacoby I was really high on. Um, and, and he definitely didn't let me down. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what we get as far as uh, other talents coming out of this game. I mean, obviously, some of the guys like uh, and I, I hate uh, I hate to say this, but Jack, Charles Omanihu from Texas. He's a defensive end. Uh, he's a guy who physically, at least on you know the game yesterday, jumped out at me. Um, and he looks like a guy who can make some plays on the line or at outside linebacker in a three-four scheme. Um, and then Andy Isabella, wide receiver from UMass, kind of looked pretty good to me too. Um, he was he was uh, pairing up well with with Daniel Jones, and um, I think he even led all the receivers in catches. I'd imagine because his his name was all over the place. So a couple of names I liked. Um, the Senior Bowl is such a cool thing to me, though. Um, you know, playing it down in Mobile as usual. It's kind of you know a nice little tradition for Mobile. And, you know, some of these guys that maybe don't get as much hype that get to come to this game and are invited and get a chance to show out, it's really cool. And you can see a direct correlation of some of these guys making money. Um, I guarantee you Daniel, Daniel Jones is shooting up draft boards after what we saw from him. For sure. Uh, depending on who wins the Super Bowl this week, we've got uh, a potential to see Tom Brady win his sixth Super Bowl. 
If he does, I think there's a good chance he retires, rides off into the sunset. Daniel Jones fits the Patriots mold perfectly to me. Bingo. I don't know if he uh, if he waits around that long because they're obviously going to be picking towards the latter part of the first round. But the Patriots are always wizards in the draft. Uh, they can make some moves that'll surprise you. They don't really. I don't want to say they don't value the guys on their roster, but Belichick has a rating system of his own to where he'll make trades that kind of blow your mind, and then you'll see those guys go elsewhere, and you know they don't they don't perform to the same level. So um, that that'll be something fun to watch. I'm a big NFL draft um, geek, I guess you could say. Oh, I, I love think it. I've probably watched every draft since 2002, and uh, I used to. I could probably recite to you like all the first round picks uh, back in the day, but don't have as much time to follow that stuff nowadays, but I will definitely be glued to the TV come NFL draft time. And I, uh, I can't get enough of the mock draft season. Once that, once that gets kicked off, even though it already has, no. but I don't really the draft, pay attention to it. Go ahead. Yeah. That, I was going to say the draft is underrated as far as I'm concerned from a viewing standpoint. It gets a lot of hate. I see a lot of Twitter hate on it because it's supposedly quote-unquote boring sometimes. But to me, you can pop on NFL Network and you can watch the draft and you get nothing but awesome highlights from these college football teams and these players rolling through as well as analysis. To me, the draft is just dream programming. I love it. I love the draft. Well, yeah, I mean, for, uh, for guys like you and me that just love to watch football, learn about football, know crazy things about players that you're not otherwise going to know i'm sure we're gonna learn like what daniel jones favorite color was when he was three years old (laughs) you know just stupid stupid things like that and somehow that kind of affects his draft grade because oh if you like uh green it it means you're not as uh intellectually sound as if you like blue so there's a rating (laughs) system for for everything with everything teams but yeah but yeah, so we'll have more on that coming up. Uh, but now we're going to jump into some basketball talk. ACC yeah. basketball season is uh, is really heating up. We're starting to see that separation that we uh, that we always do. So there's uh, there's seven teams over 500 at the moment. Six of those teams have five wins or more. Uh, UVA to me sits atop the conference. Uh, they had two wins this week that they made look easy against Wake and Notre Dame. Obviously not the uh, not the strongest opponents in the ACC, but they took care of them like you would expect them to. And uh, I think the biggest thing with UVA, the biggest uh, thing that stood out to me, this is their sixth game this year where they scored 80-plus points. Yep. They only had four games the previous two seasons with 80-plus points. So it's I think that crazy. goes back to the this is the most Final Four-ready Virginia team that we've seen under Tony Bennett. Yeah, it's one of those things. You know, when you get into postseason play – Balance is everything with these teams. If you can't play defense, you're going to get bounced. If you can't play offense, you're going to get bounced. Um, seeing a Virginia team scoring as well as they're scoring and not having games in the low 60s to high 50s all the time, that's a scary sight for all of us in the ACC. Um, and Virginia just continues to look really good. Um, yeah, I, I think this is the year. If, if you're a Cavalier fan, this is the year you've circled – um, you know, ACC tournament aspirations are as high as they're going to be. And, yeah, that Final Four is looking extremely reachable right now. Uh, another team that continues to surge is Louisville. Uh, they are now in the top 25. They had a big win over NC State on Thursday. Mm-hmm. They followed that by a 14-point win over Pitt on Saturday. I'm sure you've got some thoughts on the NC State game uh, that, that they had earlier this week. Sure. Um yeah, and Louisville, as you said, Louisville's looking good. They play a similar pack line defense to UVA. They're just not quite as good at it. Um, they're also not quite as good at scoring, um, but they are a team that is very similar to UVA and is balanced. They've got athletic players all over the place, uh, and, and Jordan Wara has been just fantastic for Louisville. Um, and again, he had 17 points to lead them over Pitt. Pitt, again, talked about it multiple times, scrappy, scrappy bunch. Um, they were up 33-29 to 29 going into the second half, and the wheels fell off after that. Um, but Louisville, another team, especially with Chris Mack in the future. You want to talk about this year? Sure, this year is going to be interesting. They're playing great now. They'll be a fringe top 25 team, but Chris Mack will have them playing at a high level moving forward. Um, the ACC continues to get stronger and look scary. 
NC State's game against Clemson, as you mentioned, interesting game. Brad Brad Brownell, probably not long for the Clemson job. Um, He just made awful decisions down the stretch, uh, one of which put NC State on the line with around 10 seconds left uh, for two free shots off an inbound pass. You don't foul in that situation. You let NC State go up the court. Um, 85% free throw shooter for Clemson, missed four straight free throw attempts. It was just a, a calamity of errors. And, uh, yeah, Braxton Beverly nailing a huge three for NC State, taking them into uh, into the uh, the winner or into the locker room as winners. Hugely, hugely needed game. Stops NC State's little mini skid, takes them to 16-4, and four, uh, positions NC State for another, you know, hopefully mid-table ACC finish where they can uh, take it on to the NCAA tournament. And good for NC State to see Markel Johnson playing again after four games out with a back injury. Um, a guy that I think is probably the second best point guard in the ACC behind Justin Robinson of Virginia Tech. Um, much needed on NC State's team. So, yeah, good win for them. Brad Brownell, Brad Brownell it's tough to see him staying on after this year. That was a, a very bad look for him. Yeah, it looks like Clemson's destined for the NIT. Uh, they're a team that you feel like is a little bit better than their record is. And like you said, I think NC State went on an 8 to nothing run in the last 19 seconds of that game. Yep. And, uh, I mean, Beverly just Dagger. cut their hearts out. Yeah. I mean, that was uh, – just watching that game is, is, is why you love college basketball so much, just because the crowd just lost their absolute minds. You know, it's, it looks like everybody's, like, directly on the court just with that yeah. NC State environment. So, it's uh, – that was a big win for NC State because they it have was. a very tough week coming up uh, that we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, so that that felt like a must win for them. If they had lost that, um, I think we we'd have some major concerns about the Wolfpack. But mm-hmm. for now, they're four and three in the conference. They're sitting in seventh place all alone. Uh, but it's it's all very jumbled at the moment. So uh, Virginia Tech is another team that we have Ooh. some concerns about coming into this week, and it started off a little bit rough. They got absolutely <laughs> demolished by UNC and. You know, it was a weird game. Uh, Virginia Tech led a good portion of the first half, and uh, then Justin Robinson and Akil Alexander-Walker left hurt, or not hurt, they left with foul trouble, and uh, basically UNC went on a three-minute 20 to nothing run, and that ended up being the difference. Uh, After that, it was kind of a, it was really a back-and-forth game, despite those three minutes, and uh, the last 27 minutes of the game, the UNC offense just couldn't miss. And uh, Virginia Tech played fairly up to speed for most of the game, but they just kept exchanging buckets. And uh, when you allow a 20 to nothing run in three minutes, you're probably not going to win. But I think it just goes to show how important Robinson is. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, the Hokies have proven that they can withstand bad play from – alexander walker but when they lose both of those guys there's pretty much no shot and that run that we saw unc go on neither one of those guys was in the game yeah yeah it's um that game was tough and that that 20 to nothing run was just heart-wrenching it seemed like whatever unc was putting up obviously in that time frame was going in that's one of those where a team shooting like that sometimes teams just get the better of you and there's no beating them on that night that was the case with you UNC that night Virginia Tech wasn't getting out ahead of them um after losing that game obviously moving into Syracuse that to me became a, a must win from that moment forward I'm sure it was the same for you yeah I mean it felt like a must win regardless you know uh yeah. Syracuse was they're also a team that has been surging um very similar to Louisville they had kind of coming out of that mid-tier portion of the ACC. We weren't sure what to expect. You know, they go on the road, they beat Duke. So Virginia Tech had to have uh, had to have their radars up and ready to go against Syracuse, and they came out and absolutely smoked them. So yeah. Justin Robinson, one of the best car- uh, games of his career, 35 points, which was a career high, set the school record for threes in the game with nine, and then also broke the school's all-time assist record held by Bimbo Coles since Bimbo. early 80s. But, yeah, yeah crazy uh, crazy 
crazy good game for Justin Robinson. Um, another game where Alexander Walker did not play spectacular on offense, uh, at no. least from a scoring standpoint. He did have quite a few assists, so he did find uh, find a way to help the team win. But yeah, I mean, it was great to see Virginia Tech rebound and pretty much dominate uh, the entire game. And uh, Syracuse started to get back in it there a little bit in the second half, but uh, the Hokies still found a way to kind of pull back ahead and, and not look back. So Yeah, and you know, going in, that 2-3 zone against a good three-point shooting team was always going to create some problems for Syracuse. If there is one hole in that defense, it's going to be on the perimeter. Um, and Justin Robinson, man, that stat line is ridiculous. Nine for 13 from three, Justin Robinson was. And uh, coming from a guy who's also scoring but creating offense for other people, I thought that was incredible. Throwing in eight assists. And as you said, Nikhil, who has been struggling recently shooting, to see a guy who, who thrives off scoring and thrives off getting his own shot to throw up, you know, an 0 for 6 from the field, especially 0 for 5 from 3, for him that had to be insanely frustrating, but 8 assists. So he didn't get, keep his head down, and he created for other players. So I was really happy to see that from him. Um, it's not always the case. You see those guys who are used to scoring get frustrated, and then the rest of their, um, the rest of their game kind of suffers. It wasn't the case for him. Four points, but eight assists. That was great. My one concern with Virginia Tech moving forward is the fact that we're about seven deep right now in, uh, as far as our depth goes. So we're running two guys off the bench. That's a tall task. And going into March and the legs start to die a little bit, we'll hopefully keep it up, keep up the pace of play. But it's frustrating to see, especially when you consider that team should be at least three to four deep um, with Landers, Nolly, and Chris Clark. So frustrating something to keep an eye on moving forward is how can this Virginia Tech team keep up their pace of play and uh, stay in the games as hard as they're going to have to fight with you know as little depth as they have yeah and I think most teams by the time they get to March are probably in the same situation it's just if one of the key guys for Virginia Tech goes down then how do they deal with that because then they're going to be about six deep so yeah. Um, I think yeah. I think that's the biggest thing to watch. I'm not so much worried about their depth because, you know, like I said, time you get to March, there's probably only seven, eight guys on most teams that are probably contributing. Yeah. It's just how do you withstand injuries as they as they come up. Yeah. Um, a couple of other teams to highlight. So Florida State, they had a shocking loss last Sunday against Boston College. And uh, they were pretty much kind of in a free fall. They did rebound with a win over Clemson this week. They take on Miami uh, tonight. We're recording this Sunday afternoon. So uh, they play Miami uh, this evening. So that should be a win. Um, they did drop out of the top 25. But they got a couple of winnable games coming up next week. So uh, I'd expect to see Florida State start moving back up in the standings of the ACC. And then, uh, you know, Duke continues to do Duke things. They... Uh, they beat Pitt by 15 on the road, and Pitt has proven to be fairly tough at home this year. And uh, had a, I guess, come-from-behind win against Georgia Tech on Saturday. They were down two at halftime. And, you know, Georgia Tech, again, they're a team. They're they're not going to win a ton of games this year, but they're going to play you tough. And right. that's exactly what they did against uh, Duke. They've really had one game this year that was just a stinker, for lack of a better term, against Louisville. But rebounded nicely with a win over Notre Dame and a fairly good performance against Duke, even though they ended up losing by, by 13 in the end. Right. Uh, so a couple of big games this week, and uh, I'm sure you'll probably agree with some of these. So NC State is in two of them. Uh, UVA at NC State on Tuesday night. Big game for the Wolfpack. Um, I, I think the the biggest thing going in NC State's favor this week is both of their big matchups are at home. So they host right. UVA on Tuesday, and then they host in, or, uh, Virginia Tech on Saturday. So uh, that UVA at NC State game, I, I like UVA in that matchup. Yep. Virginia Tech at NC State, to be honest, I like Virginia Tech in the matchup, but Virginia Tech's got to prove to me that they can win on the road. Uh, they do have a game against uh, Miami or later in the week. I think it's on Wednesday. But all of the Hokies' losses this year have been on the road. So 
to me right now, maybe I'd give the nod to NC State a little bit over Virginia Tech. Let's see how that UVA game goes. But uh, I think that's that's a huge game in the ACC for both schools uh, to kind of get a feel for where they're at. It is. And, you know, UVA has just been a thorn in NC State's side with, with Tony Bennett and that, uh, that defense that he runs. NC State wants everything that they can do to be just sprinting out and, and going high tempo. And UVA, the exact opposite. I think UVA is going to win that game. Um, you know, the one thing that will work in NC State's favor, obviously, is during ACC play, the PNC is a loud, rowdy, rowdy, rowdy arena. Um, so the crowd will be live, obviously, for a top five matchup. They'll be ready to go. Um, and NC State, Markel Johnson coming back changes a lot of things. The recent rough patch for NC State was all happening without Markel Johnson. Uh, Markel is their best player. It'll be really important to make sure he's not rusty and hopefully he's able to play well. Could they win? Obviously, anything can happen. I don't see it happening with as well as UVA is playing right now. They're slowly becoming the Patriots of the ACC uh, with their level of consistency um, in preparation just seems to be off the charts. With Virginia Tech, that's a tougher one for me. That's a toss-up. Um, Virginia Tech, not going to slow the game down. They're going to get out and run, which will play right in NC State's hands. Um, the key to that game is going to be uh, Virginia Tech's three-point shooting. Virginia Tech is going to get its shots uh, versus NC State. Um, but NC State's offensive style is going to harm the Hokies because of the lack of depth. NC State wants you to be tired, and they are going to do everything they can to run you. They go about five deep off the bench, and they run, and they run, and they run. Um, And so we'll see if that has an effect on the Hokies or not. Um, But I I think that's a complete toss-up. If I was going to pick a winner, I'd say Virginia Tech, just because of how well Justin Robinson is playing. And and honestly, the shooting level of that team is is really, really, really good. And um, chasing players off the three-point line has been a little difficult for NC State. So... Maybe an Achilles heel, heel there. NC State just needs to avoid an over two week. You get one win, um, and that's going to be another marquee win added to the resume, and, and you're going into the next week 500 in ACC. Um, very, very key if NC State comes out with one of these. And the Hokies, again, another chance for a marquee win on the road in the ACC to bolster their resume. So interesting. We're starting to see everything shake out, uh, but the ACC is just a complete dogfight this year. Yeah, I mean, another another big game uh, between two schools that I think are very uh, close right now as far as on-court performance is North Carolina against Louisville. Uh, that is going to be a, uh, a great game to watch. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Virginia Tech, NC State, Louisville, these, these teams all play each other very soon. Louisville, yep. NC State obviously just played. Uh, you've got Virginia Tech and NC State, and then two days later they host Louisville. So we're going to know really quick who – who was better than who in the ACC? And uh, yeah, it's just fun to watch. It's 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 so hard to know where where these schools stand, just because they're playing so many good teams every week. Uh, there is really no kind of you know game game off, uh, right. you could say. Because even even the guys at the bottom of the conference, even like your Wake Forest. I mean, Wake Forest beat NC State this year. Yeah, you so, can't you can't take a game off in the ACC. Um, that's what makes it so intriguing. Anybody can beat anybody. Even a team like Miami, who struggled mightily, has athletes upon athletes that can make your life absolutely miserable if your game isn't on. Um, and, you know, the most intriguing storyline to me right now in the ACC, and this isn't, you know, outlandish to say, I think most people would agree, but you've got Duke and UVA, one and two, in that next tier with North Carolina, who's probably the most cemented there, who joins them? Who are the next four to five teams in that tier? Um, you know, before we start kind of weeding some people out is, is really interesting to me because that's where you're going to see the most volatility. We're going to have two or three teams rise up with North Carolina, but I have no idea who those teams are at this point. And it, we're going to find out soon. I mean, that's going to shake out within the next one to two weeks where we have a, a better picture of who that second tier in the ACC is. Well, I, th- I think we do have an idea because there's essentially eight teams in the ACC right now that are a lock to make the tournament, in my right. opinion. And, you know, to me, it's like, where do you put a Florida State that started conference play so poorly 
and you expect them to kind of move back up in in the standings uh, over the next couple of weeks just because they are a very good basketball team. They just, for whatever reason, had a few hiccups there in the beginning. So where does a team like Florida State play in? I think it's Duke, Virginia, you know, 1A, 1B, whatever they are. And then you've got your North Carolina, you've got your Louisville, you've got your Virginia Tech that you're all trying to sort out. And then your next tier is like your NC State, your Syracuse, your uh, Florida State. And so can one of those three schools move in and will like a UNC, Louisville, or Virginia Tech start to fall back? So I think it's really those six teams right now that we're really trying to understand how good they are because we're not yeah. really sure. And that, that's sort of what I was alluding to was that second tier to me is going to be about two to three teams. And really it's tier one, tier two, and then you start getting into the mid-table I think we're going to see two of those teams regress down. Um, Sadly, I think Virginia Tech's due for a regression down. I think NC State will regress down a little bit. I hope I'm wrong. Um, But a team like Syracuse, I mean, they could work their way up after a weird non-conference schedule. I mean, they're they're playing really well outside of getting smoked by Virginia Tech yesterday. And then you have Louisville. I mean, six and one right now. They just, I can't see them keeping it up. I mean, I know Chris Mack is amazing, but not this year. Not, Not that kind of play. Um, you know, they had four non-conference losses. They didn't look good in a lot of close wins that they had. Um, and it's just crazy to me that we're sitting here talking about a 6-1 and one Louisville team. Um, crazy, crazy, crazy. But that Louisville, that Virginia Tech, Syracuse, NC State, and I want to, you know, Florida State looked so good in the non-conference. Um, yeah, I want to say they're all going to be vying for that next tier. And then, you know, we'll be talking about the fringe tournament teams under that. But um, it'll be fun to see. It'll be fun to see. So a couple of games I have on upset watch this week. Uh, you've got UNC at Georgia Tech early in the week before they take on Louisville on the road. Mm-hmm. I think that is a game to watch. Um, you know, Georgia Tech, again, very tough defensively. If UNC goes cold on offense, uh, they can definitely lose that game. And then mm-hmm. kind of a weird out-of-conference game in the middle of the season, in the middle of conference play really, is St. John's at Duke. Yeah. And uh, St. John's is 15-4. and four. Uh, They're a pretty solid team, so I don't want to say they'll catch Duke off guard, but Duke obviously a little bit more unfamiliar with the St. John's team than they would be with any other ACC team they're playing. So that's another game that I, uh, I'd keep on the radar as a potential upset this week. Yeah. No, and I, I think um, your choice of Georgia Tech-UNC is perfect. UNC, again, record-wise, they're fantastic. When you watch them play – some nights they just look like they could just be number one in the ACC and, you know, Cam Johnson is flying high, knocking down shots, and you see sparks of life from Nas Little, and um, they start putting some of those pieces together. Um, Luke May is Luke May, and he's the most frustrating player if you're on the opposing team because he's like an old guy in the gym. Athletically, there's not a lot going on there, but he's just, you know, taking three-pointers without jumping and hitting nothing but the bottom of the net. And his level of play and his fundamentals are so, so incredibly sound. But there's something about them that they just don't feel as imposing as they usually feel. Um, And Georgia Tech, scrappy and deep. Um, They're going to run, they're going to run, they're going to run. And if your shot is not falling, um, they can really make it tough for you. So good call, good call. Georgia Tech going to make that a tough game, I think. Yeah, for sure. I, I think a couple of other things to watch this week is Syracuse. How do they respond after the loss to Virginia Tech? Um, you know, they don't have the most difficult schedule this week. They've got Boston College and Pitt. So, you know, we need to make sure that Syracuse wasn't kind of a three-week wonder and, you know, can beat these teams that they're supposed to beat. And then we've already alluded to it earlier. I'll just say it again. The Virginia Tech road matchups uh, – they need to go on the road and absolutely destroy Miami, yeah. who yeah. could be below 500 um, after today's game against Florida State, and then um, obviously on the road against NC State. You know that's a, that's another critical win. That that game to me is more interesting because I do expect them to beat Miami, but um, that is uh, that's something else to watch. So yeah, I think if you look at the ACC standings, um, you've got UVA, Duke, UNC. Virginia Tech, Syracuse, all kind of in the top five there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Louisville's in the up there as well. So, um, the the like we said earlier, the other team that you have there sitting there is Florida State at two and four, 
and they've got games against Miami and Georgia Tech coming up. So you'd expect them to be at 4-4 four and four after this week, but, you know, you never know. It's the ACC. So. Well, look, I mean, the top six are all separated by one game. So, you know, it's, it's top-heavy right now, and we're going to see that shake out. Obviously, that'll change. There's players, there's teams playing above their head in Louisville, um, and I think UNC, even to a degree, is, is going to drop some games here. Um, but that, that, not to highlight a game and put a lot of emphasis on a game this early in the season, but that Virginia Tech-NC State matchup, to me, is going to be really, really good because you've got two teams that play attractive basketball that both both need that game. Um, you know, if you're Virginia Tech, you, you firmly cement yourself in that top five, I think, with that game, and you show everybody that your record's not a fluke, even though you've had a couple of big-time letdowns in Virginia and UNC. Um, and if you're NC State, same thing. Your record's not a fluke, um, even though you've got uh, some good wins, including the win over Auburn. Um, in the non-conference that look you've beaten a strong team in Virginia Tech and and you're serious as well so I think that's you know both coaches are going to put a huge emphasis on winning that game yeah so a lot a lot of things to watch in uh for ACC basketball this week a couple of other things to watch just uh out of the ordinary Super Bowl week so that's always fun um got the Rams and the Patriots matching up it's uh Brady's is it his ninth Super Bowl I think so. Night Super Bowl appearance. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that anybody's counting. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think we'll just continue to watch the uh, transfers. I'd expect – I expect very few transfer announcements this week. Um, just with National Signing Day being about 10, 11 days away. So, um, I think that noise is will settle down and then we'll start to see some uh, – just some news around some higher-level recruits. And we will have a recap show around the – National Signing Day, uh, week after next. So, any uh, anything else on your radar? Um, no, nothing really huge on mine. It's again sad to see football ending, but basketball or baseball is kind of warming up, so I'm getting excited. Um, I'm kind of expecting the Atlanta Braves to make a splash after signing Nick Markakis, um, shoring up their final outfield spot. I'm expecting them to do something. I get another big name. Real Muto down in uh, Miami is kind of a guy that I'm watching. So I'm getting excited for pitchers and catchers to report. Um, you know, basketball season heating up is great. English Premier League is looking really fun right now if you're a Liverpool fan like I am. Uh, Liverpool remains top of the table. Um, and, you know, everything's kind of exciting now from a sports perspective. I, uh, You know, football ends, but we've got a lot of other things going on. Um, and I think I just got a text here from somebody I want to read to make sure I'm not uh, not saying something that isn't the case. And it looks like yes. So NC State got a pretty big grad transfer from Tabari Hines, um, who's played pretty consistently at Oregon and Wake Forest. So just another name to look for. NC State adding a guy who's eligible um, can come in and fill in some spots vacated by uh, Kelvin Harmon. Um, Jacoby Myers and those guys. So a big addition for NC State to Barry Hines from Oregon, grad transfer, originally from South Carolina. So just something cool to watch. Um, yeah, I don't know how you feel about baseball um, and soccer and all those things, but I figured I'd give a shout-out to a couple of teams that I follow. Um, and, yeah, looking forward to the Super Bowl. Um, sadly, I think New England is going to take that one. Um, I hope the Rams at least make a game of it. But, you know, when you see McVay and Goff lining up against Belichick and Brady, it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. Yeah, I mean, if we talk baseball, I could go days and days. But uh, I'm obviously a long-suffering Baltimore Orioles fan, so I don't have (laughs) anything to look forward to this year from their standpoint other than maybe not losing, uh, you know, 115 games again. Um Mike Bucina got into the Hall of Fame, so I was jacked yeah, to see that. There you go. I'm uh, I'm still waiting on Machado and Harper to sign. The fact that those two guys haven't signed yet is just it's crazy. mind blowing. It's I mean, crazy. It's, it's ridiculous. So we're so um, close to spring practice right now and spring training, and they are still not on teams. It's kind of blowing my mind. I don't know what anybody is waiting for at this point. I think the issue you've seen with Machado and Harper is that they probably started off at completely astronomical numbers in the market. May or may not be there for either of them to the extent that they want it to be. Um, Bryce, obviously, with slight regression last year and some maybe worrying things about strikeouts and his defense uh, popping up. 
Um, and Manny kind of, you know, dealing with some similar issues and, and maybe not getting the offers that they want. That's the only thing that I can really think of. But when you talk about Musina, just wanted to shout out one of my favorite all-time baseball moments was when Joe Torre came to the top of the rail to pull him out of the game and he waved him off. I loved it. He just said, Joe, sit your ass down. And Joe listened. One of the coolest things in baseball. I really enjoyed that. Uh, Moose, ultimate competitor, a great pitcher. So cool shout out, man. Yeah, one of the wor- most devastating moments of my childhood was seeing Vicina wear a Yankees jersey. But, oh, I uh, can't imagine. I can't he, imagine. Um, yeah, he was always one of my favorites. Even when he was on the Yankees, I still uh, still like to see him do well. So it's uh, it's good to see the Moose be a Hall of Famer. Moose. But uh, that is our show for today. Uh, we are Chowder and Grits. You can uh, listen to our podcast, and please do. And when you do, leave a review. So we're always trying to boost those uh, boost those ratings up. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Or you can go to ChowderAndGrits.com, listen there as well. Uh, we've got the forums up. We've got the mailbags active. So if you got any questions, you want to hear us sound off on something, drop us a note, and we will be sure to do that. Then you can also follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook. I don't think I'm leaving anything out, Tim. Any final words? No. Just thank you guys for stopping by, taking time out of your commute, workout, and day to listen to us. Um, This is your favorite spring-chaining baseball free agency podcast, Chowder and Grits, and we'll leave you with a go ACC.